I'd like to pray with you as we begin the message today. Let's pray. Father, we bow in your presence, and we're so grateful that by your spirit, you're here with us. We invite you as we walk together through your word to speak into our hearts uh, personally and intimately in a way that only you can. We pray that it would touch us to the core, that we would be convinced of the good news of what we're going to hear today. And so would you speak into our life as only you can, and may you be lifted up. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. What do you think heaven is going to be like? We've all asked that question. We've all mulled it over in our mind. And so we're doing this series of messages which are concluding today called, Then What? And it's all about what happens to us after we die. And so the first week we talked about that, we said every one of us will physically cease to exist one day. But God is equally clear that we will exist eternally in one of two places. And so we talked that first week about judgment, about the great white throne judgment, about the judgment seat of Christ. Last week, we talked about hell. Is it a real place? What does the Bible have to say about this? And today, we're going to talk about heaven. What we believe about eternity and what's going to happen to us after we die dramatically impacts how we live our life today. If you believe that you're simply a cosmic accident, that when you take your last breath that you just return to the ground and that's all that there is, you probably should live just for the moment. But if on the other hand you believe you were created by God, that you weren't just created by him but you were created for the glory of God. Well, that impacts how we live today in dramatic ways. And so just like the verse said from 1 Corinthians, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Let me let you in on a little secret. Whatever you can imagine, heaven is better. Let me say that again. Whatever you can imagine, heaven is better. Personally, I don't think I can begin to do justice to this subject of heaven, and so we're going to let Scripture speak very clearly on this subject today. And so I'm going to invite you to take your Bible or open your device, and we always encourage you to do that, to follow along in the Scripture so that we can learn together. And I wanna read two well-known passages of scripture about heaven and what it's going to be like. So turn in your Bible to John, which is the fourth gospel and the fourth book in the New Testament, John chapter 14, and we're gonna read verses one to six. And Jesus is speaking to his leadership team, and they're, they're kinda choked, they're kinda concerned about what the future will hold and what things are going to look like in the days to come. And here's what Jesus says to them. 
Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Jesus is busy preparing heaven for us. It's a prepared place. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. We will be face to face with the living Christ. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Well, Thomas speaks up. He raises his hand or whatever, and he says, Lord, we don't know where we're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered with those very famous words, very important words, and he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The unique offer of Christ, that he is the only way, into a relationship with God that lasts not only today and tomorrow and every day we live, but for eternity. Then also written by the Apostle Paul is the book of Revelation. I invite you to turn with me to the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21. The last couple of weeks we were reading in chapter uh, 20, but today we want to read in chapter 21. And this passage is... A John, uh, filled with the Spirit, receives a vision from the Holy Spirit of what heaven will be like, beginning in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. And he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Listen to this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death nor mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and he will be my son." truth from God's word about what heaven is going to be like. So having read that and having said that, let me address a couple of misconceptions that many people have about heaven. Misunderstandings, misconceptions about heaven. And the first one that is extremely common is that heaven will be boring. Many people think heaven is going to be boring. And I would suggest to you that this is one of those lies that we talked about that the evil one likes to force upon us. Remember we said last week that in John 8 it says that he's the father of lies. That that's his native tongue. That he likes to give us, say, 98% of the truth and then at a crucial moment twist it so we're misguided and misdirected. He's the father of lies. We're told in John chapter 10 that his orientation is all towards stealing, killing, and destroying. 
In 1 Peter 4, we're told that he's like a roaring lion looking around to see who he can devour. He is our adversary. He is the evil one. At the heart of why Satan was cast out of heaven. And you can read about that in Ezekiel and Isaiah and the book of Luke and Revelation. At the heart of why he was cast out of heaven is because he was deeply jealous of God. And he wanted to take God's place and he wanted to be worshiped. And when he tried to take God out and lost the battle and was completely crushed, he couldn't stomach that because he's a sore loser. And the thought of God receiving all that he truly deserves in worship, Satan can't stand that. And so he lies and he suggests that worship of God will be horrible. It will be boring. You, you know, heaven is not gonna be like a good place. It's gonna be a boring place and you're just gonna get some wings, which of course is not true because humans are humans and angels are angels. So you don't get wings when you go to heaven. And he'll say things like this to people, and people actually believe this. You're gonna, you know, when you die, you're gonna get a robe, and you're gonna get a harp, and you're gonna ride around and float around on the clouds, singing hymns for the rest of eternity. You know, verse one, verse two, and verse four, but never verse three. I never did know growing up why we didn't sing verse 3. Something was wrong with verse 3. Heaven is going to be so boring, he suggests to you, that you better live it up now. You better do all that you want to do, no matter how selfish that might be. Because heaven, if we even go to heaven, and if you go to heaven, it's going to be boring. Why do so many people think heaven will be boring? Why is this lie from the evil one fueled? Well, probably because a lot of people are mixed up and think God is boring. They don't get God at all. They think God is a killjoy. They think God robs us of fun. In fact, God brings us true freedom in life. Or they assume heaven will be boring, can I say this, because their life is boring a boring life. A boring life is not God's fault. Heaven, in fact, will be just the opposite of boring. Scripture says in the book of John as well, he didn't come to give us, just give us life. He came to give us life to the full. Not a boring life. Everything you enjoy on earth is a gift from the God who is in heaven, who likes to give us good gifts. Everything we have is a gift from him. He loves to give us good gifts. And so we enjoy the beauty of creation, of a beautiful lake and flowers and trees and a sunset and a sunrise and the mountains and the plains and the animals of this earth. And when you eat good food and your taste buds appreciate that, these things are all a gift from a God who loves you. When you laugh, when you feel loved, when you and we go to heaven, you will enjoy everything that we enjoy on earth. But here's the cool thing. We'll enjoy it with no more sin, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, 
No more wrong motives. No more tears. The complete absence of darkness. The absence of sin. The absence of the evil one and his impact in people's lives. We in heaven will be in the presence of everything that's good. The direct presence as we read about in John chapter 14 and Revelation chapter 21. In the direct presence, listen to me here, of the only one who has ever perfectly loved you. Right in his presence. And he will continue to love us for all eternity. Let me list a number of verses. I'm not going to read them all now. You can go back and read them later. And I encourage you to. They are talking about heaven and what it's going to look like. So let me list a number of them to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 12 and 13. Revelation chapter 21, verses 15 through 27. A description of what heaven is going to look like. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, it says we will see Jesus face to face. A beautiful thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35 to 54, what our bodies are going to look like when resurrection happens. Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, last book of the Old Testament. Uh, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 35, verses 5 and 6, and chapter 65, verses 17 through 25. Let me walk through some of those passages and just hit the high points and the images of heaven and what it's going to be like. We will know each other in heaven. We will love and be loved. We will recognize our loved ones and people that we see and we know. We will worship. We will exalt the King of kings and Lord of lords. We will give him glory and praise for who he is and all that he's done. Our desires will be pure. There will be no jealousy, no selfish desires on our part. We will enjoy the wonders of the beauty of heaven, a place of unimaginable beauty. It's described in Revelation chapter 21. You'll be able to go up to people like Noah and say, so Noah, did the animals hibernate or what happened there? And is it true the rumor about the unicorns that the unicorns got eaten by one of the lions? What happened there, Noah? And ladies, if you had a, if you had a difficult time giving birth to children, you'll be able to go up to Eve and say, hey girl, what were you thinking when you did what you did? We will serve in heaven. We will work in heaven, and you will enjoy your work. We'll be able to use the gifts that God has seeded into our life, and we will be productive in heaven. We will rule and reign under the lordship of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. We will explore the beauty of God's creation. And again, I'll say it again, we will worship. We will sing together. It will be a holy place, all under the umbrella of a place with no more sin, no more death, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, bodies that don't creak and groan and decay with advancing age, clear minds, no more stress, no more bad breath, no more divorce, no injustice, 
No more Mondays, no racism, the presence of everything good. No more evil, no more evil one. Remember 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Can we really imagine it? I don't even know if I've come close to describing how wonderful it will be. Remember, whatever you can imagine, heaven is better. We will be face to face, it says in 1 John chapter 3, face to face with Jesus. We're told in scripture that this side of heaven, we, we can't really be in the presence of God because we can't handle his glory. In heaven, we will be directly in the presence of his glory. Face to face with the one who has always perfectly loved us. Another misconception that we often have rattling around in our brain. Heaven is the default destination. Most people wrongly believe that just by default, by default, that most people are going to heaven because after all they're thinking good people are going to heaven, right? And I'm not such a bad person. Well, I understand I do bad things once in a while, but I'm not such a bad person. And so simply by default, I'm going to be able to hit the going up button after I die. Remember what Jesus said? We read this last week. In Matthew chapter 7, 13 and 14, Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. He's talking about hell there. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, speaking about heaven, and only a few find it. The truth is, good people don't go to heaven when they die. Forgiven people, forgiven people go to heaven. Some of you are sitting there wrestling with this idea. Have I done enough good stuff? Have I somehow crossed that imaginary line, which I don't really know where it is? Have I somehow crossed that line? Have I done enough good things to somehow make myself acceptable to God? Or I know myself and I know my secret sins. Have I been too bad, so bad, that I've ruined it completely? Timothy Keller writes, Your sins are no match for his mercy. That's a beautiful statement. Your sins, my sins, are no match for his mercy. So we are forgiven only by the grace of Jesus. Only by the grace of Jesus. Not what we've done or not done. Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 23, talks about this. It says, for we have all sinned. Not just some people. Not just the worst of the worst of us. We have all sinned. And then in the NLT it says, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. We all do. We're all in the same boat. But then there's this beautiful promise in verse 24. It says, yet God. We all fall short of his glorious standard. Yet God. In his grace, by his grace, Notice, it's not about our righteousness at all. 
but his grace. It's not our goodness, not by anything we have done or not done, but by his grace. Not by our religious observances or our religious duties. It's only by God's grace declaring us not guilty. And we receive a not guilty verdict. We receive a verdict of you're not going to get what you richly deserve because Jesus was offered as a substitutionary sacrifice on our behalf. People are only made right with God when they believe and accept that. Believe and biblical belief means I give myself in an absolutely life-changing way, in a total commitment kind of way to God, where I'm all in. And when I believe Jesus sacrificed his life for me, and he's the only way, and his actions for me on the cross are the only way I can come into relationship with a holy God. And so I recognize I need to be forgiven. I surrender my life to him and I realize that my life is no longer my own. When we come into that kind of relationship with holy God based on Christ's work for us, this removes fear from us. That's what Jesus was saying in John chapter 14. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. And so he removes fear of what is to come because life with Christ, and the Bible uses words like guaranteed, is secure for eternity in heaven when we're in relationship with Christ. It also, at the same time, increases urgency. What we do here as we live really matters. That God has a plan for my life, and I've wanted to live life in a way that makes a difference. I want my life to count for something. And God says, I offer that to you. And it comes at a high cost. It comes at me surrendering completely to him, of me humbling myself, of me being consumed with serving and loving and living out the very grace and life of Christ. And when my life is given to him like that, it makes me into a person whose life counts for eternity. So I ask you, do you want to be forgiven? Do you want to follow Jesus that way, in a way that changes how you do life? The scriptures tell us we become a new creation in Christ, and he changes us and our priorities each day. And then subsequent to that, do we want to spend eternity with God in heaven? In a moment, I'm going to just invite you to receive Christ. If you've never done that before, you'll be able to click on the icon of the raised hand, and this is your indication to the online host, to the people that are there, and most importantly to God, that you want to commit your life to God through Christ for the first time ever in that way. And what I'm going to get you to do then is I'm going to get you to pray with me. I'll pray slowly. You can follow along. You're going to ask for forgiveness of your sins. You're going to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. And then after you've done that, I want you to tell someone what you've done. Twelve people already this year have given their life to Christ in and through the ministries of our church. 
You can be the next one. Uh, email the church or call the church afterwards so that we can help you get started. Very soon we're going to be starting what's called the Alpha Course. The Alpha Course goes through the basics of relationship with God. What that looks like and how you can begin to grow in your relationship with Jesus. And we're going to offer that to you so that you can grow in your relationship with him. So if you would like to receive Christ now for the first time, I ask you to click on that hands up icon. And pray with me now. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending the Lord Jesus. I ask you to forgive my sins. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying in my place, for going to the cross and rising from the dead. I ask you now to make me a new creation. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would save me. I receive you as my Savior. I also ask that the Spirit of God would fill me, that you would empower me so I can serve you and follow your lead. I surrender my life to you. My life is not my own. It is yours. I receive all of this by faith. And I thank you for my new life in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you've indicated that and you've prayed that, I'm going to ask you to now go and tell someone. Like I said, you could contact the church and we could give you some stuff to help you to begin growing in Christ. As we wrap now, I remind you of this. What you believe about eternity and what will happen to you after you die dramatically affects how we live now then what?